Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. Welcome to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. We are going to be talking all about your AQ, which is your answer intelligence. And to have that conversation, I sat down with Brian Klipkowski, the founder, the creator of this concept, the AQ, our answer intelligence. Now, before we go into the show, I just want to remind you that every single month, Crestcom offers a complimentary free to the public webinar. And coming up this month in February, on February 14th, we will be talking all about building resilience and cultivating self-love for success in the workplace. Now, this is something that I feel like I need, and maybe you're going through some challenges and maybe you transition to a new leadership role, or you're kind of doubting yourself. Come on over to the webinar. Let's see if we can give you some tools to overcome some of the obstacles that you're facing. All right, now on to the show. Let's talk about how we can raise our AQ or our answer intelligence. Now, let me tell you more about today's guest, Brian Glibkowski. Dr. Brian Glibkowski is passionate about the role of questions and answers in business and society. His journey started with his research on questions. He authored an article on questions that has been recognized by the Association of Human Resource Development as one of 10 articles that will shape the 21st century. His new book is Answer Intelligence, Raise Your AQ. The book introduces a new science of answers and was a finalist for two major book awards in 2022. The AQ framework has been adopted by universities, including the Imperial College of London Business School, it's a global top 20, and certified AQ partners use AQ in 14 countries around the world. Listen up, get out a pen. I am so excited to bring this conversation to you. I myself was fascinated about thinking through so many things that we do, whether it's how to approach a one-on-one -on -one meeting, how to influence someone to take our idea, this framework can work for you. So listen up and enjoy as we talk about developing and improving your answer intelligence. Brian, I am so excited to talk about AQ. Ever since we met for our pre-call, I was, I don't know, maybe inspired is the right word of thinking, wow, what is AQ? How can I actually improve the way that I communicate? So I'm so excited to bring forth something that I mean, I've never heard this before. I guarantee you many people that are listening right now may have never heard of this concept called AQ, and we're going to get into that. But before we go into further, and maybe you'll, you'll talk about that in your origin story, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience. So love a great origin story. Brian, tell us about yourself and how you came to be on your journey to AQ. Thanks, Jen. I appreciate it. Um, you know, my background's in academia. I was a management professor, and and I, my origin story is I conducted research on questions and published that in academia, and I came to one obvious conclusion. We know a lot about questions. And you go back to grade school, you learn about the six WH questions and open and closed questions, and it really hit me. We know a lot less about answers. And I wanted to study answers, and I interviewed and studied the top golf instructors in the world and developed this framework, which I call answer intelligence. And it consists of six answer types, story, metaphor, 
theory, concept, procedure, and action that connect to questions. And that really got me going. Wrote a book, did a TEDx, and now we have partners in 14 countries that are using this framework to help others create more influence in the world around them by providing elevated answers to important questions. So that's my origin story and sort of where I am right now. No, I love the work that you do. Congratulations to your global success as well with that. I think the world could very much benefit from raising their AQ or their answer intelligence. So when you think about what was the initial pain point? What did you notice? Were you thinking, I have watched way too many, you know, media or press interviews or heard way too many not great answers? Or what kind of excited you to say, you know what, there's got to be a better way? You know, I think a lot of research starts with self-reflection. And, you know, as a management professor, you're, you're trained on things like the research question. And, you know, questions are important. And like you develop, a, I develop surveys. What are surveys? They're questions. And the more I did this, the more I realized that it wasn't necessarily the questions that people are really interested in. When someone hired me, for example, to do a consulting project, they had questions. You know, they wanted to understand why their employees were leaving. And as simple as it sounds, but it was always the answers I provided that influenced them. And the more I reflected on this, the more I realized that your ability to provide answers determines if you succeed or not. And, and if we can apply like a rigorous approach towards it, maybe we could be more effective. And it was sort of this sort of emerging sort of belief that, that sort of inspired me forward. And maybe I could give you an example to illustrate. We've all been in job interviews, right? And as a candidate, whether you're a junior person or a senior person, you can ask great questions in the interview. Right. I could be a candidate. I can ask you, you know, what's it like to work at the company? You know, how do you do things here? You know, you know, what's your purpose, et cetera. But ultimately, what's going to determine if you get the job or not is your ability to provide answers. So if I can convey a leadership story where I'm a leader, or I can explain the procedure of how I lead a meeting or I can describe a key action that unlocks a project is these answers that convey competence. And it's these answers that determine whether or not they're going to hire you. And um, and hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm curious, where do you think people get it wrong? Because I know, and in our pre-call, we talked about examples where people really maybe weren't thinking about their answers or they thought they were answering or thinking of one particular question. And then they get in that moment where either nerves or stress or, you know, the stakes are higher and our answers are not where we want them to be. What are some common missteps that you notice people making in terms of how they answer or how they, they do this? And again, why does it matter? So I guess that's a stacked questions there, but where are some common areas that you notice? And then we'll go into why does it matter? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll point out two things. I think first is a lack of awareness. So we're all trained on questions. You know, you may even you know think about the questions that you might be asked by someone, you know, and list out those questions. But we never really think about the type of answers we're going to provide. And I think of you know, there's these six answer types that I've mentioned: story, metaphor, theory, concept, procedure, and action. And I like to say, unless you have a target to aim at, how are you going to hit the bullseye? 
you know, so you think of these six answers, these are, you know, bullseyes to hit. And if you're a new leader and you're thinking through what is leadership to you, why should I lead? How should you lead? You have to think about the different types of answers that you need to connect to. So, for example, if you ask me what leadership is, you know, I might say as a concept, you know, leadership is inspiring others and holding them accountable. There's more to it than that. But I might say as a metaphor, it's like two ropes. When the ropes are separate, they're strong. When they're braided together, they're stronger. I'm going to try to inspire and hold you accountable each meeting. If I'm a leader, I need to ask myself this question, what is leadership? And I can provide a concept and metaphor answer. You may disagree with my answer, but it shows I have command. Now imagine if you're you know, reporting to me and we're meeting for the first time over lunch and I lean in and I tell you that metaphor that I'm going to try to inspire and hold you accountable each meeting. You know, that coupled with other answers, you know, a nice story, a procedure of how I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, your belief in me goes up. I have credibility. I'm answering with gravitas. And I think to answer your question, you know, one reason people make mistakes with answers is they've never systematically thought about being intentional with their answers. It's just sort of an afterthought. But you have to be deliberate and intentional. And when you do, you can influence. Um, so that's my, my first uh, response. And maybe if I could give you one other thing that I think trips people up is that we're so used to focusing on questions. And we don't open our mind to the idea that the quality of our answers really matter. But I would say, you know, think about, you know, your, a recent dinner conversation you had or a conversation you want to have with a friend over dinner. What do those conversations look like? They're balanced. Both sides speak about equally. Both sides ask and answer questions about equally. So if we're going to operate effectively in conversations, we have to have control and mastery of questions and answers. So I think it's about people opening up to the idea that our answers create influence and they're important. And then once you take them seriously, you start to become a student of answers and you become more deliberate, more intentional, and you're, you're just better. I love that. And so you also, you answered that why. And so, you know, it's our influence. It's our ability to build trust um, of all the benefits of why we need to be more intentional with our words. In your experience, we're going to ask the tough questions. Where have people gotten it wrong? You know, if someone's thinking, is that really me? Where have you seen people really misstep the power of having the right answer or having a thought out answer? Yeah, I think it's, you know, sometimes people have a singular answer. Like if I ask you, um, you know, why do you want to be a leader in this company? Maybe you tell a great story, but then you can't transform that story into a procedure of how you're actually going to lead the meeting differently, you know, or you, you just have blind spots in how you think about things. So take employee engagement. You know, I'll, I'll ask executives I have in the past, they get excited about employee engagement. And then I ask them, what is employee engagement? And they can't really define it. They'll say, well, our employees are smiling. And if you think of employee engagement, those that really understand it, they can break it down. They've thought about the answer as a concept. They might say, you know, engaged employees are those that are cognitively engaged. They think about the job all the time. They're physically engaged. They have the energy to do the job, the stamina to stay until it's done. They're emotionally engaged. When the company does well, they're excited. When it does poorly, 
they're, they're sad. Unless an executive has that command of what engagement is, it's, they're going to suffer when they're trying to influence others. Because if I know that engagement is cognitive, physical, and emotional, then when I start to talk about procedures to do this, I know what my targets are. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm deliberate about this. If you just have this vague sense of, of leadership or engagement, you can't influence. And it's about having command of all the answers and being very thoughtful as how you operate in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, one question I have is like, is this a challenging concept for people in the sense of saying, how do I actually do this? I might be a, a fast talker used to just responding very quickly, not taking the power of the pause. I might also just not even think that, oh, does it really matter? And so as we're thinking about this, what's the difficulty to then slow down your process and how you think about this and kind of approach it in this new way? What obstacles have you seen people run into? Yeah, I think uh, one natural reaction is, wow, there's six answer types. I haven't thought about this before. That's a lot for me to keep in my head at one time. Or maybe, um, you know, I'm used to telling stories, but I've, I've never really tried metaphors before. You know, can I do that? So it's sort of getting out of your comfort zone. And the way I like to describe that is, you know, let's go back to interviews. I mean, when you're a junior person in the job market, what do you do? Interview number one, you try a story. Maybe it doesn't land. Interview number two, you try a different story. And then interview number three, you get a nice story. And then you're using that same story for subsequent interviews. What you've just done there is trial and error. And you know if stories are important. Now, imagine if you had that same sort of experimental nature for different answer types like metaphors or procedures or actions. So you just start experimenting and all of a sudden you're going to be surprised with which type of answers work. And the other thing is just, you know, with practice, it, you get that muscle memory and you start to experiment. And before you know it, you're using the different types of answers and it's effective. Um, I think it's, it's just getting out there, trying these answers, and you'll be surprised with how effective you can be. I love that. Let's let's unpack this a little bit. So I know you said the six areas before. Um, the six areas are theory, story, metaphor, action, procedure, and concept. If it's okay with you, can we talk just at a high level of what those even mean for the ones that maybe are, are not as, oh, what's theory? Or What's concept? What's the difference between theory and concept? Uh, let's go a little bit into talk about what those are. Um, let's talk about theory. What type of an answer type is theory? How do you respond with a theory? Yeah, maybe if we could, I would suggest maybe we start with the the what questions and and then work our way around. Maybe start with you know, let's take leadership. What is leadership? So as a concept, we can define that. You know you know, and, and break it down. Like I was talking about inspiring others and holding them accountable. Then you can have metaphors that explain aspects of the concept. So in, in different metaphors matter for different times, like to give you something new, let's imagine we're talking about leadership. I'm explaining to someone what a new leader, what leadership is. I define it, but then I maybe give a metaphor that might help that new leader. For example, I might say, Leadership is like gardening. You can water and feed the plants, but they don't always grow. That's a powerful metaphor for a new leader because a new leader 
is going to realize pretty fast that their efforts to try to lead others aren't, is not always successful. So, you know, you're, you can provide a concept and a metaphor to any what question, you know, and, and then, you know, would, would you want to go up to theory then next, perhaps? Yeah. And so for those that are on our listening journey, he, we have the wheel of the six answers. And of the six answers, they're divided between the what, why, and how. So the two that we just talked about were concept and metaphor. And those are what-based answers, or I guess, what-based question answers. Yeah, let's go into the why, where it's theory and story. Yeah. And also for, for the listeners, you can think of like, like uh, the body and exercising. Like you have your core that's the what question. You need to understand the concept and metaphors. Then you can, let's say, move up to the, the upper body, which would be the why. And let's say the lower body is the how. At some point, the metaphor breaks down, but it's sort of fun. So if you go up to the why question, it's questions about, you know, why questions about leadership? Why is leadership important? You know, and, and a theory is a basically a cause and effect logic. You could say leadership is important because that leads to job performance. Leadership is important because it leads to lower turnover. It's, it's your basic logic you have. It's, theory is also similar to strategy. So you need to know sort of the cause and effect logic. Uh, and just to make this point clear, you know, I worked with a company one time on employee engagement. It's sort of common knowledge. You think employee engagement leads to like higher job performance, right? That's a theory. Well, this bank, in Canada, they looked at business analytics for their own firm, and they found no relationship between employee engagement and job performance. Now, if that's true, that's basically saying that that common theory doesn't apply in our environment. And that's something to convey that if you want to increase engagement, if you're trying to increase performance, maybe that's not the right angle. Maybe employee engagement leads to lower turnover. Maybe that makes sense. But it's basically sharing your logic with others. That's what theory is. And then story is sort of, uh, we all know what stories are, but stories sort of explain, relate to that theory in sort of an intuitive way that involves development over time with characters and reversal. So, you know, often you hear of the moral of the story. That's sort of equivalent to the theory. The theory is sort of the more logical answer. And then the story is sort of the moral of the story. It, you know, it takes the answer or the why question and wraps it with sort of emotion. So it's a different way of conveying that answer, if that makes sense. Yeah. What about for the people that might think, aren't stories and metaphors the same? Because I definitely know that I've heard that of like, what's the difference between, aren't they both kind of implying a story or a call to action or a lesson? What do you see in your experience as the biggest difference between a story and a metaphor? Yeah, I'll give you an example, and then I'll explain it. And one thing I'll say before I get into it is that with this framework, we take something we've taken for granted that you know an answer is an answer, and we don't distinguish between types. But once you start to lay out this framework, there are different answer types. So let me give you an example. Uh, it's just a high level. We all know the story of Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah. The metaphor for Romeo and Juliet is star-crossed lovers. So story and metaphor are related but distinct. A metaphor helps us understand a concept like leadership, you know, with gardening. The story, you know, sort of has cause and effect to it. It's basically showing, you know, you know, maybe you could have a story about how leadership leads to performance. 
and that's separate from a metaphor of what leadership is. So it's two different ways to convey information. They're related but distinct, the same way that the story of Romeo and Juliet is different from the metaphor of star-crossed lovers. They're getting at common things, but you know, they serve different purposes. So for example, let's say, let's say we're talking about trust. You know, we could talk about a metaphor for trust. You know, a consultant once told me is we're a trusted advisor. We are the third card in the Rolodex behind the lawyer and the accountant than us. That's a metaphor. Separately, as an organization, you can tell a story about how you're the trusted advisor, right? And unpack that. But the two are different answers. They complement each other, but are distinct. And just to put a punchline on this, if you're an organization, let's say in sales, that uses stories, that's wonderful. Think about using metaphors. They're more compact. They're easier to tell. Lower skill level for someone to tell it often. And they answer different questions. So that's just something to add to your portfolio to create an emotional connection. So that's the difference between story and and a metaphor. No, and thank you so much for walking that through because I think that often is a misconception that people have is lumping them together. And and you know again based on the the AQ diagram, you know, metaphor is there to describe a concept, your story is there to reinforce a theory. Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. Now, if we're going into the how, those are procedural and action. And so let's go into those now. Let's go into that and let's introduce some, some new material, so a new ground. So let's imagine we're all in a training and you know, everyone listening here is, is in mentoring training. You're about to be a mentor at your company and you have an initial question. It could be explicit or implicit. What is mentoring? Now, as a trainer, I could answer this and I could say, as the what question is the concept, mentoring is helping others become their better future selves at work and in their careers. You know, emphasis on future. And I could say mentoring consists of three dimensions as a concept, career support, social support, and role modeling. You know, I could talk about it some more, but you have a fairly good idea what mentoring is. Separate from that, the how question is different. So I talked about social support. Maybe your initial reaction and you raise your hand is, how do I provide social support? I need to explain the procedure to do that and or the actions. So as a procedure, I can say, you can provide social support um, with an open door policy. So let's assume we're back in the office and I could say, here's the simple procedure. Step one, you have your door open. 
Step two, someone comes in to talk to you about an issue. And step three is you ask them, will this take less than five minutes? Let's meet now. More than five minutes, let's meet at a different time. And if it's less than five minutes, step four, you meet right there. And this is particularly important for social support because social support, you need the support when the issues occur, right? You're feeling anxious, you have anxiety, you want to go in that office and have that open door experience right away. And as much as possible, we were trying to want to facilitate that. That's a procedure. Those are the steps. The actions are anything that occurs within the steps. So something key you can do to um, an action to make the procedure effective. So for example, if I have that open door procedure, open door policy procedure, and you come in and I'm you know, focused on my emails while you're talking to me, that's not going to work. So a key action is you know, turn off your monitor and actually turn it off because you're signaling to them, not only am I paying attention to you, I'm doing it so explicitly, my monitor is off. I'm not even going to glance at it. It's an intentional action that can really convey how important someone is. That'd be an example of the procedures and the actions. So let me pause there and see if you have any questions about that. No, I mean, I love that. And I actually just love that tip of if we're working in a face-to-face setting, turn off your monitor because I can't tell you how many times when I was in the office, if I was going to ask someone a question and they couldn't be bothered to look up from their computer. And this was one of the fastest ways for me to perceive, oh, so you don't care what I have to say or why I have an issue. Okay, well, maybe this doesn't matter then. Or just to, you know, it kind of just erodes, I guess, the trust and credibility within that relationship, because I know that someone doesn't necessarily value or want to take the time for what I have to say, which is totally fine if I'm talking nonsense, but not if I'm trying to actually ask for support or, you know, anything as it relates to being able to move a job or a project or task forward. Now, one of the, so there's six ways that we can approach it And I think that for most people, you might be like, holy cow, I was really living in metaphor land or I was in story. And now I have to think about doing all six of these. That feels really overwhelming. So what is the kind of starting point to get us, I guess, more comfortable with accessing these six levels? How do you recommend people embedding this into maybe their communication style? Yeah, I think a couple of ways, you know, to answer that. One, I think, is thinking about um, you know, before a conversation, during, and after. So you can use it for preparation. So let's say that I want to be a better leader. You can ask and answer your, your, for yourself basic leadership questions. What is leadership? Why, is, why am I uh, an effective leader? How do I lead? You develop the six answers, write it down, think about it, and refine them. You know, maybe that metaphor is not quite right for you. What's the right metaphor for you? And you can start to do some simple things like Google, you know, leadership and metaphor or use chat GPT and say leadership metaphors. Come up with 10 of them. Which ones do you like? And all of a sudden, you, you then are first in the preparation phase, you, you, you apply answers towards yourself and that's self-awareness. Then once you're aware of your own leadership style, you can manifest it, you know, in influence. And you can start to have it come out in everything you do and then, you know, use AQ. So that's preparation. Then then try these out in actual conversations. Look for those opportunities to convey to people. Here's how I'm going to lead you. You know, practice it. And then when you're done, reflect on it. You know, so 
the, the, the short takeaway, there's just three phases, but if you want to just get started, take something very important to you and try to write down and define six answers for it. And I think you'll have a profound impact on how you think about something that, that's important to you. So whether it's leadership or in other applications in sales, you know, imagine if you're an organization, can you communicate your value proposition in terms of six answers? Most organizations will say, oh my gosh, I never thought about that before. You know, we may have a couple of stories, but wow, we don't have a portfolio of metaphors. We need that, right? You know, and so, you know, just that's, so that's the first tip is, you know, be systematic on something very important to you, develop six answers and just try it. So hypothetically, you know, by design, if I was a leader and I needed to make a announcement about a particular change where I needed them to maybe adjust a procedure that they were doing, which might take more time, how I'm understanding that is you could take this change initiative that you want to influence people to do or adopt, and you could start and say, okay, now let me put this into the AQ framework that Brian has created. And I'll start with the theory and then the story and then going into the concept and the metaphor. So hypothetically, you could build an entire meeting structure around all six of these. Am I getting that right? That's correct. You know, we have partners that do board facilitation using AQ. So what is an effective meeting? It's one that asks and answers all the questions. And um, particularly a very important uh, meeting, you want to cover all the answers, at least to some degree. We've all been in meetings where you know, Susan tells a story, then Joe tells a story, and then Billy tells a story, and then the meeting's over 45 minutes later. You know, that's simply because the facilitator didn't have the presence to say, we've got stories. Let's look at the different answer types. You know, oh, Billy, nice story. It seems like you're talking about leadership. What do we mean by leadership? Right. You know, well, what's a procedure we could use to, to, you know, roll out the product, you know, effectively. So, yeah, you can use all six answers. Um, the other thing I'll say is there's colors. When you look at the wheel on our website, there's red, yellow and blue answers that, that uh, have different meaning. So when you provide answers, the story and metaphor, that creates emotional connection and connection to experiences. That's important. When you provide the analytical that allow this theory and concept, yellow that allows you to explain and predict, then you can provide the blue answers, the practical, it helps get work done. So procedures and actions. So in total, you need all of these answers to navigate important conversations. And this gives you a framework to think through the different answers, the type of influence you want to have. And it's up to you as a communicator to sort of leverage the framework to influence. I love that. I mean, I just love that this is a prescriptive model that you can follow because I, the other thing that's coming to mind for me is thinking about different thinking styles or learning styles or, you know, I'm married to an engineer. I am the opposite of an engineer. We hear and we learn completely different. But by addressing these six answers, it feels like you're almost creating an opportunity for more people to hear you because you're speaking their language, which is really, really cool. And it's a framework. I love that. You know, one other tip to, you know, to, to be heard is this, this is a framework that works one-on-one and also works on one-to-many. So if you're presenting to a larger group, all else being equal, to your point, there's individuals that prefer different types of answers. So it's even more important to provide different answers throughout the meeting to sort of appeal to everyone. You know, like, for example, 
you know, let's imagine you're advising someone. We're going back to the office after COVID. The CEO gets up there and it's an all hands meeting. Of course, you're going to tell a story. And people would probably think about that, you know, before or without AQ. You know, remember when back in the day we were live in person and this great stuff happened. And by the way, I'm not advocating going back to the office, but let's say. <laughs> yeah, there are people that are like, absolutely not, Brian. That's not happening. <laughs> right. Imagine if you're this, this CEO or someone who wants to influence, you know, yes, you want to be intentional. So tell the story. But guess what? If you're not careful, you might not answer the how question. You, you better answer the how question. So the CEO, implicit or explicit, how are we going back? The CEO needs to say, month one, we're doing this. Month two, we're doing this. Month three, we're doing this. Because that creates credibility. If you don't answer the how question at a high level, what are people going to say? They're going to say, nice story, but they really haven't thought this through. They're not serious about this. So it's your ability to be intentional and know you know, how you use different answers and which combination, which level of emphasis that's going to determine if you're influential or not. I mean, I, I, I really do love this. It's a framework and yeah, you could use it in a coaching conversation. How are we going to do this? Also, as you know, I was looking at this, even thinking about, I wonder if this could be a level of checks and balances in our own strategic or strategy meetings where we're thinking like, for example, one thing that I think that some organizations maybe aren't doing well is how they actually develop leaders and being able to talk about mental health. We have a really big why of why it matters that we need to do it, but they don't always answer the what and the how. But we have, I would say that I've seen more communication strategies that really get into the why, but then they fail to really answer the how. And so you have leaders that are like, okay, I know that this is important, but I still don't know how to talk about this at work. <laughs> so is this, could it be used as like a stress test too, to be like, how, how sound is our logic if we're looking at a problem? I'm, I, and I'm processing this to think of, there are so many different ways to apply this. Like, like, for example, you're absolutely right. You know, if you can't ask and answer all the questions, you don't understand something, you know, look for the weaknesses. Or you want to surface implicit answers, like take mental health. Many of us have the metaphor of the Puritan work ethic ingrained in us so much that everything we're doing is sort of going against sort of mental health and we're sort of grinding ourselves into the ground. But unless we can surface that metaphor, you know, and replace it with something else, then we're going to be sort of, you know, you know, just a, a servant to these implicit metaphors and mental models we use. So this is a way to surface things and say, Wow, Puritan work ethic is having this insidious impact on you, and you know, and you know, let's change it. But um, if you can't surface all these answers, and you can't can't take control of them, then you're never going to be effective in mental health or leadership or whatever it is. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. The last thing is, I know we have to wrap up, but I have to ask this because I bet that there might be someone that picks up and is like, I am going to raise my AQ. I'm going to think about what I have to do. Think about the theory, think about the story, metaphor, they'll do all the things. How do they make sure that it's actually the right story or the right metaphor or the right way to do it? And I know I can't go fully into the example that I shared with you on our pre-call, but even thinking through like, how do you tell someone or what advice would you have for someone to double check that the story's actually right given you know the topic, the audience, any advice or tips that you have for people to kind of you know, just double check their story before they actually test it live? Yeah. You know, I'll say, you know, um, 
Someone, you have understanding for something when you can communicate in all six answers. So I would say a simple stress test you could do is, let's say, you know, you're, you're, if you're presenting to a group about, you know, creativity or whatever the topic is, tell your story to yourself and say, can I transform that story into a procedure? So how would that relate to a procedure for this group or a key action or a theory or a concept? You know, and if you can't transform your answer, you don't understand it. I think too often, like we may tell a story about engagement to double down on what I said earlier, but if you can't define what engagement is, you know, do you, do, do you really have command of what you're talking about? So you just want to think through it in the different ways and make sure you have complete command, no matter what the angle is, because someone can challenge you or ask a follow-up question. Great story. How am I going to do this, you know, on the next project? If you can't answer that question, then then you know you may have lost the opportunity to influence. Yes. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about that and you know even thinking about the right story. Like how do you think your audience will respond when they hear the story? Will they be excited? Could they potentially be offended? Even slowing down to think about if it wasn't you, how might someone else respond if they heard you answer in that way? Because you can do all of this, but the other piece is really making sure, is it appropriate? Is it effective at driving the concept, the behavior, the procedures that we want to see? And if it's not, maybe it's actually the wrong story. Oh, Brad, I thank you for saying that because I, I love this. But then I know the example we shared in the pre-call is like, you can have all this. And I'm still surprised that people can use stories or metaphors that were actually really important or unimportant or <clears throat> not appropriate. Even making a passive joke such as, oh, women can't drive would not be an effective metaphor to drive home the importance of inclusion. And this is part of the story that Brian and I were talking about. And, and this is also thinking through, you know, challenging our answers to really think about how our audience might feel if you're using some of these, especially if you might other someone or make them feel less than. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like that example, if I, if someone simply says off the cuff, women can't drive, you immediately should connect it back to, you know, what concept is someone locating that response to? Oh, they're going to say that's a lack of inclusion. Oh, that's not very thoughtful. Oh, let me let me rephrase this. But if you you know you need to sort of connect, you know, what's the concept that that's related to? You know, what how are these answers interrelated? And you just want to be thoughtful. Um, and I just saw something recently on LinkedIn where I, I commented where someone posted. I apologize, I'm not going to uh, air their dirty laundry, but they had a post about the the grandfathers of management theory. And I responded intentionally because it wasn't inclusive. I was looking into the concept. I said, what about, you know, the grandmother's management theory? And I mentioned Mary Follett, the um, really the, the first and founding thinker of negotiation theory. You know, so, but the point was, you know, people are using this language and they're not being intentional with their answers and it's clumsy. So it's just about being really intentional. And imagine if every single word you said, everything about your answers were, were choreographed and spot on. You start going down the layers, like for example, you can tell a story, but can you version your story, have a short, medium, or long version, right? There's all these different ways you can have command of your answers that really convey gravitas, but um, I digress. No, I just, I, I love that. Because again, to take that example, if you're, if the concept that you're trying to convey is inclusion, 
starting with inclusion with a joke about how women or people can't do things is not going to support the concept and you're actually going to lose credibility and influence. But I also, so, and I just have to say that because I, I was very shocked to, you know, experience that. But I also, you know, to pivot now thinking through that, yes. So then could you hypothetically, or should you be able to, going back to your answer response of having a, you know, a short, a medium length and a long, could you also think about these six areas through that and put it into the, if I had two minutes to describe this, five minutes to describe this, an hour to describe this and think about what would be my highlights. Would that be kind of a recommendation piece too, to think about how you can adjust your style? Yeah. How can you adjust your style? Um, That takes practice, it takes command, but also being able to come back to, you know, different answers, you know, so like, can you talk about a metaphor and then five minutes later in the conversation, deepen the metaphor by providing like another aspect of the metaphor? All this conveys gravitas. It conveys con- intentionality. It con- conveys command. And that's what the great rhetorical speakers do. Martin Luther King, Steve Jobs, you'll see demonstrated different techniques that are consistent with AQ that I'm talking about. And that's what creates command or influence. Oh my gosh, Brian, I feel like the world needs to develop their AQ. If I never have to sit through a meeting where I hear someone say something that is so grossly inappropriate, I'm like, I just want to send them your thing to be like, think through what you're saying, because, you know, whether it's a first impression or whether it's talking about a topic that is extremely sensitive, you could actually lose all of your credibility by not taking the time to do this. Brian, thank you for your work. Hopefully this will actually create a lot better, you know, communication and collaboration. I've loved our conversation. I love talking about how you can raise your AQ. Again, we've been running this podcast for four years and I've never heard anything like this. And I just love it. But for those that are also loving this, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks, Jen. First of all, I appreciate being, being on your podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, to learn more, you can go to my website, raiseyouraq.com. There's a a free Explore AQ test you can take. Uh, It takes five minutes. You get a 10-page PDF feedback report. So I encourage you to do that. Or you could find me on LinkedIn, Brian Glubkowski. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you for hopefully helping us all be better communicators, one answer at a time. That was cheesy. Thank you so much, Brian. (laughs) I liked it. That was good. Thank you so much for listening to today's show with Dr. Brian Glukowski. I loved that conversation. And for someone like myself that actually talks about confidence a lot with people, I truly think that by looking at this framework, you could actually develop your confidence in how you present ideas or how you can influence people to change. There are so many different applications of this tool, so I would definitely recommend checking it out. And if you want to take your own you can take the free Explore AQ test. Each participant after taking that receives a 10-page PDF report. And you can access this test by going to raiseyouraq.com backslash explore that HTML. And if you enjoyed today's episode, or if you know maybe a new leader, someone prepping for a difficult conversation or a presentation, share this episode with them. And of course, if you enjoyed it, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank you so much for listening. Good luck on coming up with those answers. Until next time.